welcome everybody to another episode of the Mind Power Podcast. I'm your host, Angel Clemente, and for episode seven, we have our very first female, and definitely not our last, <clears throat> but regardless, uh, it's just another team member of the Mind Power team we definitely are long overdue to introduce, so with pleasure, I would love to bring in Maria Wilson all the way from Arizona. Maria, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, how are you doing? I'm um, pretty good. Um, thanks for hopping in with us. Uh, I think you are the second to last person on the team that we need to introduce. So I'm glad that we were able to find the time to bring you in here and get some good combos going. Yeah, I've been really wanting to be a part of the podcast for a while since the first episode. And oh I know ideally we wanted to do it in person, but um, I moved across the country, so I'm just glad that we can make it work virtually. So I'm happy to be here. So Maria right now is currently a full-time student at Arizona State University, right? Um, yes, sir. You are also, you said, a research assistant? Yeah, so I'm a part-time uh, research assistant for the university. So I work um, 20 hours in addition to uh, my classwork. Okay. Um what what exactly is like the area of study or like what your degree is going to be in? Yeah, so I'm actually going to obtain a PhD in clinical psychology at ASU. And I want to focus on a child track. So I'm really interested in working with like children and adolescents. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in like a psych, in like a psych way, you said? Yeah, so um, with the PhD in clinical psychology, um, it prepares you to be, you know, a scientist, like a researcher in the field, mm -hmm. right, in psychology, and it also prepares you to be a clinician, so if you want to work with clients, if you want to do therapy, you want to open up your own practice and get licensed later on, it prepares you for that as well, oh, okay. um, and so essentially obtaining this degree, I will have so many avenues in the mental health field and the psychology field um, to really impact and help children and help families um, in many different ways. So that's kind of the beauty of this program, but it's also what makes it very long and very challenging at the same right. time. I, yeah. think, I think just from that explanation, you can kind of see the, um, <clears throat> the similarities that line up between um, where Maria's like passion and her field is versus what we do here at MindPower. And you can kind of just just from that little description itself, it kind of speaks for itself about why Maria is with us doing the things that she's doing. Um, but I mean, um, to mention that, do you want to go ahead and tell us, you know, exactly what your role here is at MindPower, what you do? Yeah. So when I originally came on board for MindPower at its creation, I was the chief scientific officer. Um, essentially, that has kind of transform um, into being kind of like the personnel that provides information education on psychological research mm -hmm. on, the, on the stats, right? right. Um, where is the gap in mental health services, right? Like I am fortunate that I come from a background where um, not only did I study psychology, but I was able to work in the field for a few years at a university at FIU in Miami. And I was able to see, I was able to work with families from like lower income communities and, you know, they were at risk for a lot of late serious mental health problems later on and weren't receiving, weren't receiving as much services as, as they needed for different factors and different reasons. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really where my passion grew in pursuing this PhD because I want to just dismantle that inequity of mental health access for these for these underserved populations, right? Mm -hmm. Those that like need the most access but can't access it, whether you know it's a financial barrier, whether it's because of transportation, whether it's because of, it's a language barrier, right? There's like so many factors that influence, okay, client and then therapy or service, right? There's like there's this middle there's this gap there, and essentially I want to reduce that gap, right? right. And right. I think with MindPower, we can reach so many more people and I think they work really nicely together. Yeah, it definitely sounds like we're trying to do our best to help out not just everyone in need, but especially the ones that need it the most. And I mean, from your experience, from your time in the field, you've been able to really observe 
the people that do need it the most. And it's like a really, really undervalued part where you say it's like the like minorities especially yes so um right now because i know that's kind of how you started with us but i know right now you kind of do a i think you do a little bit more at least you kind of took on a little bit more didn't you as mind power kind of grew yes so as i the trajectory of my involvement with mind power parallels my trajectory in grad school mm-hmm. as I'm I'm also now at a point where I am going to learn how to write grants and you know what what is the best way to get funding right, right. for a project and that easily translates into how can we write a good grant for funding for a nonprofit organization right, right. and f- funding is crucial because if we don't have enough funds, like we can't help as many people as we want to, right? With my power. Um, and even in my career, right? Um, like there any research project that I take on has to be funded um, in order for me to, to be able to conduct the research I want and to help people that I want, right? So I think it's great because I'm going to be learning, I already am learning a lot of skills here that is going to help my power um, directly, specifically with the grant writing and, mm-hmm. and securing funds, um, which ultimately is really going to help us achieve our, mis- our mission, like on a large scale. Right, because I know I know one of our one of our missions that we we try to do here is to try to be able to make like counseling or any type of uh, like um, psychology visitation affordable for for students, for athletes, for anybody that you know needs that needs that help to kind of address their their mental health and kind of get them on the right track. And nowadays, you know, when you look at the prices for that, it can be a kind of kind of pricey, um, a little bit expensive. And I mean, we can we can go into the topic of you know healthcare in the United States and all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. but, you know, it, it it creates a challenge, especially for for kids and low income families and um, all of that. And so, mm-hmm. being able to have those grants, being able to have <clears throat> you know that funding that we can repetitively put back into mind power to make that more affordable for, for kids to be able to have that access is, is huge. It's a, it's a huge movement. It's a big impact that we can, that we can make. So a very, very vital role and a very awesome thing that you're able to learn that at school and be able to apply it directly with us as well. So, um, that's pretty neat. Now, um, now that we've talked about your involvement with, uh, mind power, I kind of want to like, uh, what's it called? dissect kind of where all of this passion came from now i know that you know while you were at fiu down here in miami and you were working in the field you made all these observations and you realized you know where where your passion was but um if you don't mind kind of talking about where all that stemmed from you know yeah that's a really great question um i've been interested in studying human behavior um, and kind of, you know, learning why do people behave the way they do, like what makes one person so different from another. Um, so I've been interested in that since high school, since I took um, AP psychology, I was so intrigued by the different disorders and all these mental health problems that exist that I was unaware of before. And, you know, since then, like that, it just planted a seed in my mind of like, okay, I did not know what I wanted to do with my life before then. And when I took that class, I knew I wanted to go in that direction. And through my education and work experience, that passion grew. So I had several different experiences working with children. So I've worked with children with learning disorders, right? Like maybe with ADHD, mm-hmm. um, who had difficulty with reading or writing, plus, you know, difficulty paying attention, right? I've had, I've worked with children who, had really severe behavior problems and they were also developmentally delayed. So maybe, you know, some of them were on the autism spectrum um, and they face a lot of like unique challenges. Um, and it definitely also impacted the whole family as well, right? Um, and then even, even babies who shows like problems that were like show at risk for becoming more serious later on, like even that at that age, like 12 months, you can detect like if they're at risk um, for developing like more serious problems, behavioral problems, right? So 
through all those experiences and then also working with people from different backgrounds like I work thankfully being in Miami it's a melting pot right like yeah. there's so like my the minority is my is the majority right, right? Yeah. um we have it's we have a lot of Hispanic and Latinos in Miami that it's become the unofficial like official language yeah. <laughs> right um like so I think also being Latina myself and I'm Cuban um, Cuban American, um, it was really important for me to see that representation, right? And I realized that in this field specifically, we need to do more to have these minority ethnic and racial minority groups represented, right? Because with these groups, there's cultural differences that arise that, you know, maybe what might be normal for one, from one culture isn't for another, and we can't treat everything the same. Right. right. Um, so you have to really look at these individual factors um, when it comes to addressing whatever the problem may be. Right. Mm-hmm. And and, the, and my passion like that has stemmed from where I am today, most recently, is when I see someone that's at a disadvantage, I want to do whatever is in my power to bring them up, to empower them and provide them all the resources they need in order to get up there, whatever that may be. And I don't believe that just because maybe you were because of birth or maybe circumstances, you're at a disadvantage, whatever it may be, that's causing you, that's putting you disadvantage. I don't believe that it's fatalistic. Like that's it. Like you're just always going to have the short end of the stick for the rest of your life. Like, no, like there are ways around that. We just have to be creative and think of solutions to help those that are most disadvantaged and help, you know, kind of give them a sense of power, empowerment, and that they can actually control things in their life, despite whatever challenges they were, they are facing with. Yeah, I mean, you, you hear a lot of stories nowadays about, you know, you know, people who were, who are able to make a successful life. And, you know, they came from like, you know, rags and up to riches and, you know, they had to bat, they had to do go through a lot of battles and a lot of this stuff and a lot of challenges to be able to get to the successful, you know, lifestyle that, that they possess. And when you when you really like dig into those stories, you start to realize that, you know, maybe sometimes the parents, but a lot of times like you find like some type of father figure or some type of mentor that kind of went through that same path and was mm-hmm. able to help them out of it and gives them, you know, that real that real like uh, tunnel vision that hind that like view to really help them get to where they are today. But um, of course with like for every one, one successful story like that, there's probably over a thousand of the opposite stories where, you know, people that <clears throat> possess the potential don't have that access where they can't access, you know, finding or being able to learn from someone that went through that and be able to learn the right things and, and do all that stuff, and like you said, you know, a lot of that just has to do with, you know, they were just born in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that's, that Mm -hmm. immediately puts them at a disadvantage, and it's not, it's not fair to be able to, you know, you know, know the same things as someone else, but just because of, of where you were born, or, you know, like, um, the, the color of your skin, or anything like that, that you don't get the right opportunities, that, and you're misrepresented that way, and it's a shame. Yeah, I agree. And I think you bring up a good point about um, a mentor, right? And I know that with MindPower, that's something that we're doing specifically with athletes, but we want to be able to provide mentorship mentorship as a resource. And, you know, that's not something that's discussed enough, you know, because sometimes it really just takes that one person that can be a mentor to a youth, for example, and can actually help guide them with, you know, a little bit of like knowledge or like, you know, hey, I take my advice, like do things this way, like learn from my experiences. And even right now um, in my program, it's a mentorship-based program. So I am working with a mentor directly that I meet with every week. And like, he is guiding me throughout this process. And he's been through it, right? Like he was a grad student, you know, years back doing the same thing that I did. And he's been through all of this already. So like he has a lot of knowledge and insight, right? Mm-hmm. And even with grad students who are um, more ahead in the program, um, 
like even today I was mentored by a graduate student um, about, you know, my, you know, how to, how to go about grad school, how to manage all your courses and research and everything you have to do. So I think like a mentorship in any capacity is, could be really helpful. I think that needs to be looked at more. Oh yeah. You know? Because sometimes we don't, you know, maybe like we just need a little bit of extra guidance and support and maybe we don't necessarily need to go to therapy or necessarily see a licensed psychologist, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just we just need that, that that guidance, right? So I think a mentor is like a perfect example, right? Because right. it can be you can be any kind of mentor in any area, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not even even if you're not like a mentor, if if you know like where you came from and you know where you're at right now, like I don't think people realize like how big of an impact like even like five seconds can can have on on someone you know that is in the same situation that you were or anything like that you know like people don't realize that you know even just a small amount of advice or even just five ten minutes talking to someone how big of an impact you can have and kind of open their eyes to something that you know they didn't know they wanted to and that yeah. that, that just comes from like you know <clears throat> being appreciative of, of of where you came from and and like you said having having that like passion to make sure that everyone can have that same access and and know that what you've been through is not someone is not something that someone else should have to go through and making yeah. sure that people don't yeah yeah it, it, it's crazy work but it, it's amazing work it's amazing work it's it's much needed yeah. right um i think the outcome is definitely worth it uh, worth the effort mm-hmm. um Angel, have you had a mentor in your life where, you know, actually like change your life with just a few words or even just one talk or, or do you, or is it the opposite? Do you wish you could have had a mentor? Um, I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that boat where I wish I could have had a mentor. Um, there were, you know, me growing up, me and my two sisters, um, we were all one age apart. So we were all kind of going through the same thing at once. And you know, both my parents were immigrants from Mexico. So, you know, all of this was, you know, first generation thing for us and going to college. And my sister had to, she had to go through the process all by herself of, you know, trying to apply to a college, trying to get into a college, doing all this stuff. And then for me, it was kind of the same thing. Cause while I was trying to do this, she was, you know, preparing for finals when it was my turn to try and get into colleges. And on top of that, you know, I wanted to play soccer. So, you know, knowing how to even get recruited, how to get the eyes, all of this stuff, I had no idea how to do. And a lot of that we had to do on our own. And even then, like, you know, I I had a lot of coaches that were really good mentors, Um, not like in general about a lot of things, but they were they were guys that I looked up to. But, you know, getting out of school and and being where I'm at now, like I realized, you know, those there were a lot of things that if. I knew back then I would, I know I would be in a different situation and I don't really have any regrets about it, but um, I know that things would have been different if I had someone there to be able to tell me, you know, that these are the things you need to do, or these are the things that, you know, people are looking for, or if you do this, you know, the right things will happen and being like this determined about, you know, just et cetera, et cetera. And so um, I know once I finished once I finished school, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And even then I was doing it while I was in school. So I know being like a swimmer and a diver, mainly a diver in high school, I kind of like um, jump-started the like popularity for diving at my high school. And by the time mm-hmm. I was a junior, I think in high school, um, I got in contact with the middle school coach and, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, I see you have a lot of divers. They had like 12 kids come out for diving in one year. And I was like, he's like, do you know anything about diving? He goes, bro, I don't know. I don't know, you know, Jack about diving. And I was like, well, I was like, and, you know, if you want some help, you know, I'll, I'll help you. You know, I'm not ready to be out of the pool. So I started coaching middle school divers while I was still in high school. And um, that turned out great because I ended up sent, being able to, you know, set the foundation for two of them to go and compete at the state finals. And so watching watching that progress for me and being, being able to help them as much as I could, you know, break school records, break my own records, do all this stuff. And it was, it was really, really neat. And even then, once I finished school, once I finished college and I uh, went back home, I tried to do the same thing. I did the same thing with my high school soccer team. Um, I tried to do the same thing with the track team, with the swim team, and trying to make that impact that I wish, you know, I would have had when I was going through those programs. Um, it's huge. And if, if you didn't 
get it when you were go when you were making your way up. I feel like it's really really important to try and be who you wanted to be when you were younger. Try and be that person. Try to be that example um, to impact those lives that you know in the way you wish your life would have been impacted. You know. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, I didn't know how much like you were into swimming and diving. Yeah. Um, but I think like what can we do now for those who were probably in our positions right like those who are now going through um going through that transition like I think especially like middle high school like pre-college is so crucial crucial. right like that time period um it's also the time where you're you know going through puberty developing your own identity becoming more independent right? right and it's kind of the time where life is like okay you need to decide where you want to go to school, what you want to study, what career, like it's more in your face. It's more of a reality. And, um, do you even want to go to school? Right. Like, do you you, like, and then, Oh, living on your own, moving out, like think these things are like emerging adulthood. Right. Mm -hmm. Even though you're still a teenager, right. At at that time. So it's just interesting, like developmentally, like the changes that you're going through and then the expectations that are put on, on you. Right. In society. And going through all that alone imagine right how difficult that may be and a lot of us have gone through that so I'm wondering what can we do with you know with mind power or in general like what can we do for those kids that are going through this now or that are going to go through this in future generations you know like how can we provide that mentorship or who can provide that mentorship and guidance you know yeah exactly and I mean I think that's a little bit of something that we all want to do because you know we all went through it Um, and we all have that knowledge that we can share and that's where we, that's where our network comes in. And so I know, you know, Chandler and Jackson and you, and I know Sam and even myself are, are building that really, really huge network where we're bringing in those people. And even this podcast is, is in some way, the same thing of what we're trying to do and be able to, you know, give that insight, give that knowledge with people who who are in those positions in the moment or have gone through those positions and kind of be able to share what challenges they were able to face and how they were able to overcome them. And hopefully, you know, relate to someone who's listening at home going through the same thing and kind of giving them that, that little sign where it's like, you know, it's going to be okay. You can do it type type message. And and that's, that's kind of like the, at the end of the day, that's the message that we want to send to people listening to this. It's, you know, you're not alone. You know, yeah. other people have gone through this. We're proof, you know, that we went through this and we want you to know that you can do it too. Yeah, I agree. And I think knowledge is key here as well, mm-hmm. knowing who to who they can reach out to. Right. Um, I I think it's letting them know, hey, like you're not alone. A lot of us have gone through this. You can reach out to us. Yeah. And yeah. this is who you can reach out to if it's yeah. something more specific. Exactly. Um you know, which, for example, the athlete mentor is a really great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having mentoring mentees in their own sport of choice, right? I think is is a really great um, initiative. So I've never heard of anything else like that. Um, so I think again, like we're we're really developing these really great initiatives. Um, and I think even this podcast, like you said, can be helpful and be a resource, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. No, I'm super into it. Yeah, it's it's, it's great, and it, it's great to see the 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 forward movement and progression that not just the podcast, but you know, my power in general is doing. So it's it's a good it's a good thing to see, especially when we've been there, you know, from from the start and to seeing how it's been developed now, and you know, being able to look forward to the future. It's a, it's a crazy thing. Um, yeah. But now, what I do want to talk about is. You're not you're not the first person on the show who is either in college or has gone through college, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's always it's always really really interesting to be able to talk to someone that's in it right now. And I know I had Jackson last week, and he's currently doing his undergrad. But you oh, okay. you have finished your undergrad, and right now you're going for you know your PhD. So that's yeah. you know that's the next level. That's kind of like the end of the road and stuff like that. So. Um, that's being in a whole nother level of, of school. But on top of that, it's being on a whole nother level of, you know, everything is going to hit you at once, but you know, umped, umped to the, to the top tier. So you're getting hit with all of this and then, you know, being the research assistant doing all of that. And on top of that, 
you you have spent your entire life in one in one in one city. You spent your yep. entire life in Miami. Yep. And just a month and a half ago, as we were talking about, you just completely picked up and relocated to Arizona, all the way on the other side of the country. Yeah. So on top of one starting, you know, grad school and and just starting that new chapter, you're also getting out of your comfort zone of something that you've been around your entire life and just dropping yourself in an entirely new environment. And so I just, you know, I would love to hear kind of what your initial reaction was, um, like the culture shock that you experienced and how you're adjusting to all of that. Yeah, that's a great question. Culture shock. Thankfully, not as much of a culture shock in the sense that there's also a lot of diversity here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm right on the border of Mexico, right? So there is a lot of Latinos, a lot of Mexicans. Um, and I think something that shocked me, and I think it may just be at the graduate level. I'm not sure if it's just here in Arizona, mm-hmm. but um, there's a lot of international students. Yeah. So in my cohort alone, so like, Uh, we have a very small cohort in this program, right? So there's seven of us in the first year, right? Mm -hmm. And I think all but like three of us are international students. Um, So there are a couple from China. There's a couple from India. Um, I have a friend who's from Northern Ireland, right? And that is something I have never experienced before. And even just um, in the first few weeks of interacting, with my cohort like I realized like how much how how much more cultural differences there are between us um and whereas in Miami I feel like you know the majority of us not everyone but the majority were Latino Hispanic and I felt comfortable in the sense of like oh well we're all just like and we all speak Spanish we have pretty similar like cultural backgrounds or family backgrounds but it's not the case here, right? So I'm really exposed to like very, very different cultures. And it's like, actually the majority is different from my, like I actually have not, I've met like two other Hispanic students, but that that's it. Right. <laughs> so I think that for me is more of a culture shock where Miami is like everyone you know is like Cuban or Colombia or Venezuelan or you know what I mean? Right. Um, and here it's completely different. Um, I will say also, the heat which it's that was it's a different um, type of heat isn't it it's a different type of heat it's a dry heat so complete opposite from humid 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 florida right Mm -hmm. um it also gets really high in the summer so i didn't experience this but it can get as high as 120 and i experienced like the 110s and i but it's like you're just an oven that keeps getting hotter and hotter and you feel like you're like like you're like like you're someone's baking you in an oven um so (laughs) I just I don't even know the way to describe it have you ever been in dry heat I have not I've been I've been to Vegas once but I didn't I don't know if I would yeah I didn't really pay attention to it so maybe I was but I for me heat is heat because I always I love the heat I ran away from the snow, so right. for, for me, heat is heat, so I didn't really notice it too much, but I would say probably not. You probably, yeah, um, it's similar to Vegas, but yeah, I think after you spend some time in Miami, like, and if you come here mm-hmm. in the summer, you're going to feel a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that was different, and I think those have been the biggest adjustments. Everything else um oh the biggest adjustment too is i don't have a Publix here so <laughs> now so figuring out where to do groceries was a mission yeah i remember i think i remember uh either it was either chandler or it was caesar we were we were talking about how how you were trying to adjust and trying to find you know where you're going to get groceries because Publix is kind of just a, a florida thing and because even when I moved to, yeah, when, like I moved to Miami, thing. when I moved to Miami, I had no idea what Publix was. And they're like, oh, you need to go try Publix. And I was like, I, what is that? I don't even know what that is. But um, I think it's uh, for people like back home. I think I don't know if it's an, all over the country, but I know like in Indiana, like uh, it would be similar to like a Strack and Van Til. 
for people like in the Midwest. They probably know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what Arizona has, um, but I'm sure, I don't what did you find in the, at the end of the- I found their safe wear um, and Albertsons. Have you heard of Albertsons? I have not. Yeah, um, those are like, those are two popular ones. Um, they also have here Food City, which I like to compare it to Sedanos. You like to compare oh, it to Sedanos? what? Sedanos, Sedanos in Miami. Have you been to Sedanos? I have not. No. Have you been to Presidente? I have. I have been there. Okay, so Presidente and Sedanos are like the same thing. Oh, okay. Um, so it so Food City is kind of like that vibe. Um, there's a thing called Bashas, which is like the oldest grocery store in Arizona and it's only in Arizona. It's a local uh, grocery store. Um, there's also Sprouts, but it's not, that's not exclusive to here. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I haven't either. Um, Sprouts, is, Sprouts is a mix between like Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Okay. Like it's like in between. Um, but yeah, those are like the ones that here that are local. Um, the other ones that are here are like everywhere else, like Trader Joe's, right. all these Whole Foods, like those are everywhere. Um, and yes, so the struggle is I need just one where I can get everything. I have to go to multiple depending <laughs> what I need. And, and so I think it's also part of just adulting in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's been my experience. Mm. Which, which sucks by the way, adulting, it's just, uh. It's just a horrible, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just a horrible transition, but at the same time, like, you don't, you don't realize how much, like, uh, you were missing out on or how much everything is required until you start doing that on your own. You know, you have to go grocery shopping, you have to go, you know, um, for some people, it's like doing your own laundry, I guess, and, you know, having to pay for all the stuff, like, you have, people have no idea, like, how much, um, we were relying on our parents, you know, growing up to be able to do all that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge like uh slap in the face for a reality check. Once you start, you know, having to do all that stuff on your own entering, you know, that, yeah. that adulthood. Oh yeah. It's for me, I was doing that up until a month and a half ago. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, like getting, you know, living with my parents, living at home, um, so yeah, it's been a month and a half of adulting and I got to say, I don't know what we were thinking as kids that <laughs> when we wanted to be adults, uh, it's not as fun as it looks yeah, or it, it sounds, but it's, iro um, it's ironic, you know, when you're growing up, you're like, Oh, I can't wait to get out of the house. I can't wait to have my own place and I can't yeah. wait to be an adult. And then you're an adult and you're like, man, what I would give to be a kid again, you know? Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> um, but but it does come, there's a lot of pros to it. Um, I will say like I made a decision to live alone, um, which has been challenging in itself, but it it's interesting because in a way we get to learn so much about ourselves yeah. that we would not have the opportunity to otherwise. Um, like living on your, like living on your own, like without your parents, but also living alone teaches you so much, like it forces you to be responsible. Yep. Like it forces you to face your bad habits, right? Um, you kind of like you can't hide from it anymore, and right. you you have if it's it's up to you to to basically um, make the changes and you know all of that. And I don't know, it's interesting. You just learn a lot about yourself. So I mean, I'm happy that I did that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think I've said it before on a previous episode, but um, I remember I always try and preach like you know if you get the chance to to move somewhere, to go somewhere, to study out of state, to go, go out of that, out of that comfort zone that you've known and just go somewhere else. Like people don't understand like how much you grow when you, when you leave like that nest, when you leave home, like it's, it's such like a big wake up call, but at the same time, like you, you learn so much, like you said, you know, you learn how to do all these things on your own you grow mm -hmm. substantially as yes. a person. Um, and yeah. that's why like, um, I, I, you could, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, but one of the things that I found out since I've lived here in Miami is that a majority of the people that are from Miami, um, 
have probably been here a majority of their life and they don't they don't know how people live outside of like Florida. Like they don't know how people live like yeah. in the Midwest or on the West Coast and they have no idea. And I would like they're always they always do like a they always do give me like a like a like a second take, like a like a weird look when I tell them like, oh we used to do this, you know, you know, back in Indiana we it was like this or I didn't have that in Indiana, blah blah blah, all this stuff. And they're like, wow, that's weird. And I'm like, you, you have, I was like, you think it's weird. Like, it's actually weird that you don't know that because that's how it is everywhere else. And people don't know that. So I, 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 everyone I have this conversation with. Like what? Give me an example. Huh? What is one thing that, um, give me an example that they do everywhere else, but not here. I mean, not, not in Miami. So, so one thing that, that really like threw me off when I first moved here because uh growing up in, in Indiana, you know, it's a it's a lot of, you know, Caucasian, it's it's a lot of white and there's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of minority. Um mm-hmm. and so for me growing up, you know, I grew up around my family, everyone like around, you know, around my family and, and thereof, it was all Mexicans. It's literally just Mexicans and maybe a little bit of like Honduran here and there, but literally yeah. all Mexicans. If you're any type of like Latino or Hispanic up there, you're basically just Mexican. That's about it. Right. And so when I moved down here, I just like got thrown into this huge potluck and it's like, you know, there's Cubans and then there's like Puerto Ricans and then there's Dominicans and, and there's mm-hmm. Argentines, Argentinians, there's Brazilians, there's yeah. so much of this stuff. And I think, uh, I think I'm like within my second week of starting work where I was at the mall, which is, you know, you don't see any more like diversity than in, you know, in that Aventura mall. And I had, yeah. I had, I was helping like this, I don't, I don't remember what she was, um, but she ended up telling me, but I, I don't remember, but I was talking to her and she's like, oh, like what part of Mexico are you from? And I was like, I like stood back and I was like, how'd you know I was from Mexico? And she's like, oh, I could, I could tell by the way you talk. And I was like, by the way I talk. And then I realized like, like, oh, like different Latinos have different accents of the way they speak Spanish. Yeah. And I had, I had, I had no idea, like that had never crossed my mind. Cause I was like, you know, there's, you know, people speak English different ways. You have Southern accents, you, you know, you have like proper English accents, you have all this other stuff, but I had never realized that speaking Spanish, like Mexicans speak Spanish a different way than like Puerto Ricans would speak Spanish or, oh, like, yes. you know, Argentinians speak Spanish or Chileans. I had no idea. And that just like took me by surprise. And, you know, I was just like, wow, that, I was so taken back and, and like now, now I can kind of like tell like where people are from, um, mm-hmm. by hearing them talk. But yes, for me that I was like, wow, that's so weird. And they're like, how do you, they're like, how do you not know that, you know, Spanish has different, you know, accents. And I was like, well, you know, Miami's probably one of the, one of the, not only places, but probably the biggest place where you're going to hear all of that at once. And you go anywhere else in Florida or anywhere outside of Florida and you don't have that huge mix of different Hispanics. So you don't hear that. So I was like, it's actually, I was like, I think it's actually more weird that I don't need, I don't even know how to describe it, but I was like, it's for me that like it blew my mind and I don't know why, but it's something, you know, like you, you growing up there was so evident for you. But for me, I was like, wow, that's, that's insane. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very, very great, interesting thing that you bring up that, you know, you weren't exposed to that and mm-hmm. that you're right, the majority of the country isn't exposed to that. And right. if, you know, they are exposed to like Latino or other minority groups, it's, you know, usually from like one country, right? Yeah. One or two. So, so I think there's like that knowledge slash exposure gap, because if I didn't know that about you, if I didn't know you grew up in Indiana the only Latinos were Mexican and that's all you've ever been exposed to your entire life up until now, I would think what is wrong with this person? How, yeah. Right. How can they be so ignorant? Because, you know, that is a discussion, especially when it comes to Latino and Hispanic community. Like I remember in high school, because my name was Maria, this guy made a joke saying, Oh, well, you must be Mexican. Right. (laughs) And it feels like, like being Mexican was like the brunt of the joke. um, And it's almost like, do you not realize that there's more just <laughs> to me- Hispanic just and Latinos Mexicans, than yeah. just Mexican? <laughs> just Mexican, right? So, you know, I would think, oh, this person's so ignorant or, you know, but sometimes that ignorance 
isn't willful. Like it's not your choice. Like you're not choosing to be ignorant. It's just, that's all you've been exposed to. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important to know, like it's, it's important. You can't make assumptions. Right. And I think that's where the cultural factor comes in. Right. Because if all you've ever exposed to is this one way, how can you expect them to know about everything else that exists around them? You know, and that's not really on them, right? That's just what they grew up in. That's what you grew up in, you know? So I, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, yeah, a lot of times people don't realize that outside of their own bubble, like what's yeah, going on like an entire in the rest of the world, world yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So very interesting. Yeah. Um, where was my train of thought going? I know I had a train of thought going somewhere, but I completely lost it. So maybe maybe it'll come back here in a little bit. But um, okay, how I know before we started recording, we were talking about you know you are you know you're finding a lot to do there. You know you're making friends, and it seems like everything for right now is is going pretty good. Um, what what has been some of like the harder harder challenges that you've like faced when it comes to like your time management because you can't you can't talk about being in school without having to talk about managing your time I'm so glad you brought that up um that is something I'm working on actively like every day every week and I'm learning from my mistakes so time management um something I've learned that so you're you, you asked me what my biggest challenge has been in regards to time management yeah okay so my biggest challenge is I want to do it all, but I cannot. Realistically, I cannot. So I tend to put a lot of things on my plate or a lot of things on my to-do list for a day and it ends up being too much. And I've learned that I have to take a bite-sized approach to things because a lot of my responsibilities are really big, mm-hmm. right? For example, one mm-hmm. of my task as a RA, a research assistant, is I have to develop my first year project. Basically, you know, what question do I want to ask and then study it, like actually do a research project on it, and then eventually publish that paper in a journal, right? That's just, that's a really big task. Like there is so much that goes into it from step one to the last step, right? But if I think about it, like step one, read articles on this topic. Okay, five articles. Okay, five more articles tomorrow. Okay, second step, write a summary on them. Third step, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot more manageable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not this huge, big task that I have to do that's going to take up so so much of my time. It's breaking it down and, you know, in a bite-sized approach, step-by-step, and actually accounting for it in your day. So I'm free from, let's say, after 12, okay, from I'm going to work on these concrete things, right? Mm-hmm. And I have to hold myself accountable. And when I do that, I'm able to get a lot more done and I'm more efficient with my time. So the biggest challenge for me has been shifting to that because I'm someone that operates on a master list of things. So I'm like, I have a gazillion things to do and I don't know when to do what, and they're all important and they're all a priority, but you got to structure it in a way that it's going to work within like your schedule. Um, and it's going to be realistic. Right. So like a realistic goal, you know, like me writing up a paper tonight is not a realistic goal, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So it's learning that about myself um, and yeah, and just taking it day by day. I think it's really important to live in the present and take things one step at a time, day by day. Don't let the big stuff overwhelm you. Right. And it, it, it sounds like when, like when you do those lists or when you write those schedules, um, you do, instead of, you know, doing like one big, like one bullet point where it would say, you know, research articles, you know, you, you break that down, like you said, into different bullet points. So maybe it's like do research, but it's like first part of the research, read all these articles. And then second part is summarize them. And then third part is, you know, highlight what you need from those summaries. And then, you know, next step is go back and look through those articles and 
try and paraphrase, get the information you need to be able to quote it appropriately. And then three, you know, write your own, all your own thesis and however the, you know, the process goes, but instead right. of just, you know, making one bullet point, that's probably why your lists are so big because you get down to like the nitty gritty to make sure that you can take that in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's more helpful that way because yeah. it's more concrete. Whereas do research. That's so abstract. Yeah. That means, that means so many different things. Exactly. Right. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the hardest part is with, with the research, because with coursework, it's kind of cut, cut, cut clear and clear, mm-hmm. you know, like have to read this article or I have to post a discussion question on discussion board, right. or I have to um, study for a right. test, right. I have to do a homework problems. Right. Um, I think, you know, the coursework, it's, you know, they kind of do it that for you like they make it very clear for you what you have to do and it's due next week mm-hmm. whereas with research it's like this is what you're going to do in your five years here and this is what you're going to do in these first two years this is what you're going to do in your first year and you're with your mentor so your mentor will kind of tell you what you should do right. and it's just very abstract so it takes it takes also you as a, like me as a student to recognize that okay what do I value and what do I want to get out of this? Because at the end of the day, I'm going to get out what I put in and that's really going to influence my trajectory in this career. Right. Right. So it also takes a little bit of initiative on my part um, to decide, okay, what do I want to get out of this and and how do I get there? Okay. These are my bullet points, my, and then get it done Mm -hmm. with, of course, my mentor and support and, you know, guidance. Now, what what about your, your sleep schedule? What's your sleep schedule look like? So my sleep schedule, I try to go to bed between ten to eleven mm-hmm. on weeknights, um, and a big part of that is because I work out at six a.m., so I have to wake up at five. Mm-hmm. If I don't get you know seven at least seven hours of sleep, then I would not be able to to get up at that time, go to the gym, and also it. And if I were, and if I did, it throws me off the rest of the day. Right. So sleep is so important, and you know, I think sometimes we like to think that we can survive off of like three or four hours of sleep, or you know, like right. we like to you know stay up all night, and we think we can get up early in the morning, and it's like you may think that, but in reality, you are not as productive and alert as you are when you have like good rest. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've realized here because I, as I am, I am up from five and I'm not at five to like eight, nine, 10 PM. I don't stop. Right. I'm doing something. So, so no, no, like midday naps or nothing. I wish <laughs> I'm on campus like all day. And by the time I get home, I'm like, I have to cook. I have to do the dishes. I have to see there's where adulting comes in, right? Yeah. Um, so I've realized that if I don't sleep at my desired time, I can't get up early the next day and be productive. Or I have to sleep in. Like I have to, meaning I have to start my day later mm-hmm. because it, throws me in a whirlwind like the past two nights I've gone to bed way later than usual and like mid-afternoon today my eyes were like closing on its own right and I'm like in the middle of doing work and I'm like this can't like I can't function that way right like that's it doesn't help me and it just wastes my time even more right because um the key thing is about being efficient right so if I am if I am not putting a hundred percent effort into what I'm doing, then I'm going to have to do it over again. Right. right? So there's no point in me trying to do something halfway where I can take another stab at it when I am like, when I'm like alert, when I'm ready and I can do it and finish in half the time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And sleep really kind of correlates with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if, like you said, you, um, cause I've never even realized that, like, you know, if you're not doing, if you do something like, uh, at 70% or at 50%, you know, you have to go back and do, you know, the other 30% or the other 50% eventually. And that's just taking up more time where if you just 
do it all at, at your best you get your best out of it and you don't have to exactly you know, go back and spend as much time you know reviewing it or doing all this stuff and editing all, all whatnot so um yeah that that definitely that ties into you know how much rest you're getting um whether you're pulling all-nighters i know that's a that's a huge like when you know time management is one thing in college but including your sleep schedule into that time management is the hardest thing yeah because you have to account for it yeah once you're in once you're in school like that and you're on your own it's really easy to just put things off and i mean i can i can say that confidently because that definitely was me when i was in school Mm -hmm. you know no you know a professional procrastinator at its at at his best yeah so and it's it's a hard habit to break but when you break it um and i mean there's there's definitely so many ways to break it to break those habits to be able to do that and be efficient that way so yeah yeah i realized too i'm i'm a really good procrastinator (laughs) but i didn't come here to continue being a procrastinator right and that's something I had to look myself in the mirror and be like, why are you doing things halfway? Why did you move across the country to only give like 70% effort, right? Right. I need to put 100% effort because I chose to be here and this is my passion and this is the career that I want to take on. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that, I was like, okay, I, I need to figure out how can I be at my best and give a hundred percent effort in the things that I need to, while also, you know, not sacrificing my sleep, not sacrificing my doubt, you know, my, my free time and my mental health, self-care. That's a whole other topic, but (laughs) self-care is something also to account for. You have to take care of yourself throughout the process, you know? And I mean, that, that just ends up tying back into, you know, being, being at your best mentally as well. So Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there anything that like you do that kind of um keeps keeps you like mentally health healthier like mentally stable like I, I'm not trying to make it sound like you know you know you're lo- you're losing it or anything like that but no, yeah. school school can get overwhelming and I mean everyone has you know their different ways to cope to be able to make sure you know you're not getting completely overwhelmed and you have your own ways of either like relieving stress or you know some people like to go and you know hang out with friends some people like to you know go play sports or do exercise or do something like that what what do you what do you what do you have yeah I have a couple things um that I need to practice more (laughs) Uh, I like journaling um I like being in outdoors and being in nature it really puts me at peace I really also love playing soccer, <laughs> as you know. Um, I'm actually trying to like form a soccer group here. So oh, for real? Um, if I get to do that, like that will be dope because yeah. that will be such a great stress reliever. Um, so dancing is a big one. Um, trying to see if I can, they offer like dance classes at ASU. I have to look into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are things I all did in Miami. Right. right. Um, and I also like to, you know, like pamper myself sometimes, like maybe like do like a face mask and kind of just, um, you know, get a massage or something like that. You know, um, I think the thing is that we have to find ways to take care of ourselves that are feasible. Yeah. So, you know, maybe like, getting a massage isn't feasible on a student budget, right? Like a professional one. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, maybe there's other self-soothing techniques that like I can do on my, you know, that I can do um, at any time. So I think it's finding anything that's easily accessible and feasible that helps relieve your stress and like you can soothe yourself. And I think that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find and explore, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that's definitely the key to self-care. And those are some of my examples. What about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, when yeah. I, I definitely always love to be <clears throat> around people. I love being around people. I love mm-hmm. the social aspect of it. Um, even if we were just like sitting around the room, you know, talking about whatever, or, like playing games or playing board games. Um, I remember, my senior year, we did we did a lot of uh, what board game was it? Sorry, 
And we have some crazy oh, videos. Sorry. Yeah, we have some crazy videos of us playing sorry and just getting really, really into it. But doing that, um, I loved being outdoors, but I also love, you know, playing whatever type of sport it was. So I always tried to do as much intramurals as I could. Um, I always tried to go out and, you know, get groups and we tried to go play, whether we were playing like spike ball, um, we were throwing frisbees around, we were playing sand volleyball, anything like that. Anything just to be active, I guess. And um, which is kind of ironic, you know, me playing three sports while I was in school. Um, but I still always wanted to, you know, keep doing more and keep being active. But for me, for me, that was my, you know, get all the stress out, you know, kind of regroup and just get, get it all out of the system for me. It was just being active and moving around, not, not standing still a little too much. But, and do you still implement that today? Do you still do that today? I try to, yes. Um, I'm, <clears throat> I still try to find as many more groups as I can to play, but I know right now I currently have two. So um, if I can, whether like whether I'm off that day or if I get off early from work, I will go play, I think, Tuesday nights, Friday evenings, Saturday mornings, and Sunday nights if I can. And most, a lot of times I can, I can at least go play twice. Um, I think there's only been a couple times where I've been able to go all four times. And it was probably the best times of my life. But um, I just I love being out and playing. But yeah, um, I would like I would like to probably meet a little more people so that I can go and like maybe play other sports. Like I haven't played sand volleyball in a really really long time, and I loved it and I miss it. Um, just any any other types of sports. But being active, yeah. If I if I get the chance to do it, I will I will always go ahead and go full in because I love it. That's that's my that's my de stressor for me. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I hope you get to find your crew to play yeah. sand volleyball. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, don't you have a sand volleyball um, court in Mila? Yep, we have one there. It's just finding the people or else I'm just, you know, hitting it back and forth. Right, of course. Stuff. But it's it's right. fun. Just with time and, you know, I, I stay busy enough as it is, you know, with work and with mind power and doing all this stuff. So this, this is also, I guess, kind of like a de-stressor, you know, whether it's doing – taking photos or doing any video editing or any preparations for the podcast this is kind of what I like to do in like in general too. So this is another, another little nice hobby for me too. So it's neat. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's all the time I have uh, for you, Maria. Um, before we leave, um, I just want to see if you have any like <clears throat> big tips or any words of advice, anything like that for anybody that's listening. Yes, but give me a moment. Oh, please take to formulate time. that. <laughs> no, you're you're a woman of. No many. matter what anyone. Oh, sorry. Huh? Go ahead. No matter what anyone tells you. Follow your gut and follow your wildest dreams because you're the one that's going to experience them and you want to be able to live a life worth living. Mm -hmm. So do whatever it takes to achieve that. Do whatever it takes. Live, live your life. The fullest. <sighs> that's, that's a great advice. Live your life. Do, do what you want to do, not what other people want you to do for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, Maria, I want to thank you once again for hopping on this with us um, and being able to share this, share your experience um, from, I think, the year or two that I've known you, um, being able to see that that progression of what how much that you've been able to help us with mind power um, and seeing that transition of you being able to get out of your comfort zone and go to Arizona is 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 a sight to see and it's it's I love seeing that and I love seeing how much you're um you're facing it head head on and you know realizing your challenges and doing your best to you know make it work and um really happy for you um I really do wish you the best so um just want to let you know that you know every, all of us down here in Miami we're we're rooting for you and we're we're all proud so <laughs> just know that but thank you so much. Yeah. Um, until the next one, I think on the next episode, we will have our final board member of the team, Samantha Brits. 
So that's something to look forward to. Um, two, two amazing women that help Mind Power be the amazing foundation that it is, Maria and Sam. So, um, Sam, uh, Maria, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Um, everybody else, we hope you guys have a great night. Um, make sure you tune in for the next episode. And that's going to be it for us tonight. Um, take care, guys. Until the next one. Bye-bye.